0: ...start with a story. We always like stories, don't we? This one's a hard one, I'll be honest with you. A Turkish officer raided and looted an Armenian home. That wouldn't have been too far away from where you've been talking about... ...you know, in Eastern Europe, that over that kind of neck of the woods. Uh, he killed the aged parents and in the cruelest and most callous and crude way... ...he gave the daughters of the parents to his soldiers... And he kept the eldest daughter for himself. I'm sure you can imagine why he did that. Uh, Some time later, after the ordeal she'd been through, she escaped. And she tried to put her life back together and she trained as a nurse. And as time passed by, she found herself in a situation she never would have imagined. She found herself in a situation where she herself was nursing in a ward where that Turkish officer was. Um... One night, by the light of the lantern, she saw the face of the officer. And he was so gravely ill, that without exceptional nursing, he would die. What would you do? Can you imagine, for all those ordeals that she'd been put through? All the crimes, the wicked acts that he had callously committed towards her family and towards her. And there he, there he was, in and at her mercy days passed and he began to recover and one day the doctor stood by the bed with him and said to him but for the devotion to you of her you would be dead and he looked at her and with a tear in his eye he said I fear we've met before haven't we yes she said we have met before Why didn't you kill me? He asked. She replied, I am the follower of Him who shows mercy and who said, Love your enemies. And by God's amazing grace, she was living it out that moment, wasn't she? Can I tell you that there's possibly no place, no situation, where the gospel and the power of God to save will be seen more clearly in the times when his people are the recipients of wickedness, hurt, cruelty, and pain. We're a world that is struggling with this. How do we respond? There are probably people sitting here who in some sense would have been, she should have killed him! And yet, Our world, if it's to survive, needs a power beyond that, doesn't it? How do you respond? And that was, and I've picked, and I've started with that one. You say, hold on, that's quite a, that's a big one, isn't it? And I pray God that so many of us in this room won't have to face something as severe and sort of acute as that. But the fact of the matter is, some of us have. And some of us are still bearing the scars, aren't we? Some people have done cruel, calculated and wicked things to us and the people that we love. And... ...there's a very good chance that if that hasn't happened to you... ...at some point or another it will do. And sometimes the hardest times are when it's done by people... ...who you have entrusted yourself and you have loved the most. And you've been wickedly betrayed. Of course this passage has an awful lot to say to those of us... ...when we face lower level stuff as well. So my guess is that most of you haven't got through the past this week... ...without having some variety of trolley rage... ...road rage cursing out the fellow in front of you because he jumped in having a right royal go at somebody who because of their thoughtlessness caused you inconvenience and robbed you of opportunity there are those as well so we're talking about a whole scale of things here how do we respond when people have done things to us that hurt us how do we do it and there's this sense in which from a young age we've been shown what we ought to do but that only makes us feel worse because we feel our inability to do it am I the only one who finds it hard when somebody wrongs me to turn the other cheek? So how do you do what that nurse did? It's powerful, isn't it? Can you imagine how we would stand out amongst our colleagues, our families, the people around us in our neighbourhood? How we would stand out as those who are different because when we are wronged, we respond differently. They won't be able to figure us, will they? It'll be evident that it's not just moralism, or just do-goodism, or try-hardism, because that won't cut it. It will have to be only explainable by the fact that we have met with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that we have tasted his mercy. And that's why Paul waits till this point in the book of Romans to say, do you remember where we're up to in Romans chapter 12? We're at that point where it's the rubber hits the road for 11 chapters. This is God's mercy, his grace to you. He unpacks every angle to say how salvation, rescue, peace with God is all of God and it is a gift and it is given to you. He carries the weight of your failure. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. Now, chapter 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, you'll be totally different. It will transform the pattern that you have conformed to, which is the pattern of this world, and it will make you look different. And that's why this is just such, such a wonderful part of the Bible to show what real, genuine, life-transforming Christianity looks like. Because there, there isn't any way you can fake this. You just can't do it. It's real so here we're going to particularly today look at what is going on here when somebody comes at you and treats you in an evil and wicked way. It's there. Let me just read through the five verses again and then we're going to break it down into three. And I wish we'd put it up. I wish I'd put the three titles in. They're very easy to look at and to remember. So let's read it again. Can you see there verse 17? In view of God's mercy. If, you have, if you're living under the horizon of God's mercy. If, it, if it's a growing reality in your life. If you're letting it fill every corner. this is where, This is the direction of movement of your life. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the summary verse of that, verse 21, notice how it's similar to verse 17. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Three things that we want to see about how mercy will change the way we respond to when wrong is done to us. First one, verses 17 and 18. It means if we're tasting mercy, we won't react, but we will respond to evil. We won't react to evil, but we will respond to evil. And there's a massive difference. Let me just read 17 and 18 again. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now we have this justice muscle that lies within us, don't we? It's that sense of right and wrong, and that is God given, and it's it's who God has made us to be. It's a gift from God. It causes us to sense right and wrong, But sometimes it can be overacted, can't it? So when we have been wronged, perhaps it's um, a family member's been unreasonable, perhaps you've been on the receiving end of unfair criticism, perhaps you've been betrayed by somebody who you trusted, perhaps an employer mistreated, you, perhaps it's the scallies down the road chucking rocks at you and terrorising you so you're fearful of coming out. We have this huge instinct, don't we, to deal with it. That it needs to be dealt with, it needs sorting out, it needs we need to be paying in some way and we jump to the idea that that is our job we can't help ourselves can we it's almost instinctive and it feels so right that we're the ones to do it somebody once wrote the really dangerous thing about revenge is that it feels so right it does doesn't it they've wronged me I'll sort them out The trouble with it is, is when we're on the receiving end of anything, when we receive it, we distort it as well. Our justice muscle, if you like, gets distorted by my own sinfulness. So, in some sense, I I try to take on a responsibility that isn't mine. I try to play God and I don't respond sinlessly to being sinned against. And that's one of the reasons God gives us a church family and puts people around us to help us make sense of what is happening to us. But there's this very real sense that when I am wronged by somebody I don't respond in a neutral way. I take all that is wicked with what has been done to them and I take a good dose of what is wicked within me put it together and I've got an even bigger mess. I have the instinct to get even but it morphs into something that actually isn't just about getting even it controls me. It controls my behaviour, it shapes my emotions, it affects my relationship with God. It becomes, in some sense, my new Lord and Saviour. It's Lord in the fact that it calls the shots over my life and the way I see other people and how I get through the day. And it's my Saviour in the fact that, well, if I get revenge then I'll feel purged. And so revenge becomes, in some sense, my Saviour. Now it's worth saying at this point that what I'm talking about here is when you have been on the receiving end of a real wrong. Can I just give you a few pastoral smarts? I think it's bared out by the way the Bible speaks about each one of us. And it's certainly gone out in my experience that nine out of ten times when people have felt like somebody has been against them. It's not that they were coming after you like an enemy. It's often that you've sort of misunderstood what was intended so can I just encourage you what the Bible encourages us to be when you feel that somebody is really getting at you and they've gone out of their way to contrive evil towards you quite often what it is is that actually they've just been a bit thoughtless but they didn't intend you harm they didn't realise how precious it was to you and actually that very moment is giving you a bit of a window into who you are and how how you tick so can I encourage you that when you feel wronged can you please do this Maintain a healthy scepticism of your feelings. Do you get that? Take that away, writing on your fridge. Maintain a healthy suspicion of what your feelings are telling you about what somebody is doing to you. Right, now, I've just gone off there, just a little bracket. Because the main topic here is not when you perceive a wrong, how you respond with it. The main topic is when you have genuinely been wronged by somebody. So your first job is to check it out. Unfair criticism. You hear a word of gossip. Perhaps somebody gives a word, and you, and you sit there and you hear it, and you're like, "What do they mean by that?" Then the next thing you like well, maybe they meant that. Then you're knocking around. They must have meant that. How dare they mean that? I'm going to kill them. And suddenly you have become judge, jury of executioner. So if you are in living in the light of God's mercy, will you maintain a healthy scepticism about your assumption? And that's why we've got one another. I need people to help me figure out what I'm feeling. Right. Back to the topic at hand. This is when you have been genuine. When somebody is when somebody's come at you, when somebody's done something cruel and callous, when somebody's hurt you. When you have been the recipient of evil. What happens? Well, we want to repay. So what we do is in some sense... We spend time planning the demise of somebody else. And even if we can't do it... And that's, that's actually a mercy by the way. Sometimes the Lord puts you in a situation where you cannot repay. But we're not happy with that. So we retreat into this little fantasy world. And if I did have the power over them... This is what I would do to them. And they jolly well deserve it too. All I can say thank you Lord that you have not allowed me to wreak my revenge as I wish I would have been able to. And so we enter this fantasy world where we feed off it and it consumes us. And guess what is the big picture on our horizon then? Is it God? No, it's our revenge. We spend our time planning... We feed off it, and in some sense we try to become God. Can I just tell you this? I came across this great story. Uh, Some of you have heard of Archbishop Cranmer. Uh, He was one of the first... I think he was the first Archbishop of Canterbury. Is that right within, uh, within the Anglican Church after the Reformation? He was a godly guy. He didn't get everything right by any stretch of the imagination. But when he was young, he had an awful lot of people... ...who did an awful lot of wicked and cruel things to him. He suffered at the hands of others... And history records, when he had risen to the highest ecclesiological office, and he had the power to pretty much bang anybody up who he wanted to, he did nothing. And people said, oh, sign of weakness. Sign of weakness, he should have taken revenge. He had them in his power. It wasn't until literally centuries later, when people were translating out of a wonky Latin some of his diaries, that it revealed what he was reading in his quiet time. Turn back, with you, to Romans chapter 5. Oops. It's only a few chapters back. And this is what he, he would actually note down as being a particularly precious verse to him. Romans chapter 5. Well, i start at verse 10. For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, that was what drove him he had a sense that he himself had lived as God's enemy, but God had not given him what he deserved. And therefore, because he was the recipient of mercy, he was going to try to not give them what they deserved, even though he had it in, their, in his power to do so. When you live under God's mercy, suddenly everything changes. In fact, tell me to read verse 6 that's there. Read verse 6 to us. Nice and loud. Brilliant. Read our next verse, and verse eight as well. So while we were still his enemies, coming against him, he did not treat us as our sin deserved, but. He saved us. He did not react in vengeance to pay back. He responded in grace. Do you get the difference? <sighs> That's reacting. In fact, I just always encourage you, whenever you meet in a strange situation, zip this, there's a good reason why kids, parents, teach kids, count to ten, because otherwise what you do is you react, rather than respond. And if we're to re- we don't want to react in the way, in the pattern of this world, we want to respond in the light of God's mercy to us. So, because of what Christ did, he did not treat us as our sins deserve, that's mercy, we do not react. We do not dish out, but in love, in loving mercy, we respond and not treat treat others as their sins deserve. What does that actually look like? Come on, Steve, tell me, how do I actually do that? What will it do? Well, it will mean three things that you resolve. Now this is on the basis of feelings, this is on the uh, basis of a resolution. Three things of what it means to not pay somebody back and to not treat them as their sins deserve. Number one, in your own mind, when you keep replaying that tape, and when you keep replaying it, you keep making them the villain. Now please, don't mishear me, I'm not suggesting that they haven't done something that is wicked and wrong, but you make a choice... To not hold that against them and treat them as their sins deserve. So often what we do is we make somebody what they have done to us. So I've given you this example before. It's very simple and straightforward. Somebody repeatedly tells lies that disadvantage you. And what do you call them? You call them a... Liar. Somebody comes to you and says, You've been telling a few lies about that and those porkies. You know. In fact, the kids are great at revealing that, aren't they? Well, I mean fact, you say not to tell lies, but what was that you were doing on the phone then when you were speaking to so somebody comes and calls you out for telling lies, and you, what do you say to them? Oh, it's complicated. It was, it was extenuating circumstances. But that person had a liar! In your mind, you resolve that we will not treat people as their sins deserve. You will not keep replaying the tape. You will not keep feeding off it. You will, with the help of Christ, I'm not going to make them pay my mind. That's the first place. It's in your own mind. And the second place, it's to them. You won't go out of your way to get them back. In fact, you'll constantly be pushing that back in your mind. So, there's a place where this plays out It's in your mind. How am I going to treat them? I'm not going to treat them as their sins deserve. Actually, to them. I'm not going to keep on... Holding it against them. I'm not going to make them pay and suffer. I heard tell of a, a terribly burdened lady. Who she got such anger at what somebody had done to her. That she used to drive many miles out of her way. On the, home, uh, on the way home from, um, from work in the evening. Past the house of the person who'd done it to them. And even though the person wasn't in. And even though the person didn't know. She'd drive up. She'd wind down the window. Wind it back. And drive off. What's going on there? Now you won't drag up the the past. We say bury the hatchet. We won't leave the handle exposed for later. We will not count their sins against them. We won't. And then what we won't do. The third one is we won't count their sins against them. We won't treat them as their sins deserve. In front of others. When other people are around, we won't demise them. Uh, sorry, de- demise them. demonize them. We won't run them down. We will show them honor. You know how we can do it so subtly, can't we? Well, just, uh, you know, you're talking in a conversation and somebody says, um, it's such and such all right. and uh, You know, you can do it with the roll of the eyes, can't you? Uh, yeah, well, you'd expect that from... Now you won't run them down anymore. You won't gossip about them. So, what is our response going to be? We want to be those who re- respond and don't simply react. But it's hard. It's hard because we want to take vengeance. Stephen Lungu was in the 1960s. Uh, he was in the nationalist movement in what is now Zimbabwe. I can't was it Rhodesia before? Something like that. Um, he was an interesting character because he was at one point. He was. He was trying to. Get freedom for Zimbabwe or his nationalistic movement, and he got his bomb, and he was going off to chuck it into a Christian meeting. But when he got to the edge of the tent, he just stopped for a second to check he was in the right place, and he heard the preaching, and he heard the gospel, and he stopped to listen, and he got converted. He was like, "What have I got this bomb here for?" And he got converted. And so he started to hang around church for a while and he had to deal with a whole stack of issues in his life because he'd been abandoned by his mum as a little boy. He'd just literally been left in the middle of the town. He was dumped and she walked away and he never saw her again. Um, But then as he grew in prominence in the church in Zimbabwe he became a well-known evangelist and he'd go out and he'd be preaching the gospel. Um, He actually came to a point where he bumped into his mum he realized on meeting her exactly how much he hated her. He said, I had no idea that all this time I'd been sort of harboring this. In my own way, I had been reacting quietly, subtly, bubbling along to what she had done. And I found it so hard to make peace, he said. But he realized that as long as he wasn't making peace, he wasn't being true to the gospel. And it got to him. He got to the point where he realised he just wasn't going to be able to preach. He couldn't talk about forgiveness without being able to forgive her for what she had done to him. He said, God, I must forgive her. He wept. How can I preach about your love and forgiveness unless I do? So he was painfully aware that if he didn't forgive, it would be a denial of the gospel. Have you got that? It's not that we forgive to get saved, but the idea that you have received forgiveness and it is the big, it's the defining mark of your life, it's it's who you are. The idea that you would receive that mercy and yet hold things against others just doesn't fit. It can't fit. It won't fit. He was painfully aware that if he didn't forgive, it would be a denial of the gospel. So desperately, he pleaded to God for strength and a desire to forgive. And for him, the key point, and this is for him, and it's slightly different for other people, I think. But the key was when he saw his mother from God's point of view. Not a mother who had hurt him, although she had. But a mother who was lost. A hurting soul who was broken, with destroying her life. Who was hurting just as he had been when he was holding that bomb. God found him and had mercy on him. Maybe he should have mercy on her. That's so hard, isn't it? Gospel means that what we can do is we don't have to react to evil. We respond to it. Secondly, a bit more quickly this one. Secondly, the gospel tells us here in verse 19 that we need to trust things to God. We need to trust things to God. Look at verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Steve. I mean I mean the So I want to do God's job, don't I? I'm not the only one in this room who wants to do God's job. In fact a lot of the time, I think I can do it better. So what we've been told here is you you only have You only want to live in this life of vengeance and revenge if you think you are better at being God than he is. And there are many people who do. Many people doubt that God is trustworthy enough to deal with the things. But look again at verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I want to be really clear about what mercy does for you, okay? Number one... You live mercy because it, it shows what God is like. So that one of the reasons we do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what, right in, uh, what is right in the eyes of everybody, is because it shows what he is like. He does that for us, doesn't he? But the other reason that you d- decide to cling on to being merciful and let God change you by his mercy, is that you show that you are profoundly contented in everything he has done. Do you get that? I don't need to gratify my vengeance. He is my comfort. He is, do you remember that Old Testament word? Recompense. My reconciliation. He is worth more to me than the need in the pursuit of vengeance. He is my big thing. He, he is my all. He satisfies me. He's my security. And you can begin to see why so many people have to cling on to the idea of vengeance, can't you? In fact, I watched a poor young Liverpool girl, I don't know which case it was to do with, but it was one of these um, murder cases where it's unsolved, six months on, they haven't caught the culprit, and here was a young Liverpool girl on the telly this week talking about, and this was, she said something like this, it's fine for him and his family, they can move on with their life, but we can't, we can't get past this, we need it dealt with. And your heart goes on out to her for the suffering that her and her family are going through, but you also want to say to her, "It's not supposed to be that way." You're telling me you can only find peace when you've worked through the process of justice, and you've seen it happen now in the way that you want. I mean, it, you know, we wanted to get justice, we, and we'll come to that in just a minute. But actually, there's a bigger recompense, and it's called the Lord of Heaven and Earth. You see, if all you're doing is pursuing vengeance, you're living a restless, tiring, contorting life, and here the Lord is saying, listen, if you get my mercy, if you get that I will deal with all the wrongs eventually, you don't have to take uh, take revenge, my friends. You can leave room for me to deal with it. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And without that, we're trapped. Let me tell you very quickly to build your confidence, the three ways in the Bible... That God will visit his wrath on people who are evildoers. The first comes up in chapter 1 verse 18. Where we've been told that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Against all the godlessness and wickedness of those who suppress the truth about him in the present age. Big long sentence. What does it mean? It means that God has so wired, structured the fabric of this world. That if you do wrong things against God and other people now. Your life gets wrecked. He said, hold on, I know plenty of people who have committed a crime and they're living off the... Yeah, it's more subtle than that, isn't it? Saying that actually God has wired the world that if you become somebody who indulges in sin, that sin breaks your humanity as you should have been. You become more broken, more twisted up, more chewed up. So if you are a liar, then your relationships will be broken. You'll never enjoy fullness of relationship. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven that there is something wrong. If you are a thief... Then people become cheap... And you will struggle in your relationships. If you find it easy to dance in and out of relationships... If you sleep around... Then you will lose the preciousness... And dignity... Of sexual relationships... And of relationships closeness one with another... You'll lose the power of that glue... That is a God-given thing... And it just breaks. So one of God's appointed means... Of showing his wrath to people... When they've done you evil... It's interesting, you know. I have conversations with people, uh, people about this, and on a number of occasions. And, and the thing that I've said is, as things that they've said to me is, in some sense, I pity them for what they've done to me, because it's just self-evident that they're not—they live in a broken life. You can only do wicked things to other people if you live in a broken life. Secondly, we've. We're told there's appointed means by which God's wrath is dealt with. Nathan will be preaching on that next week. It comes up at the start of the next chapter. God has appointed people now to deal with wickedness and wrong. He's appointed authorities. He's appointed the government, the police. And we are to leave room to God for God to work through those means. So it is right that if somebody has committed a crime against you, As a Christian, you're not just supposed to say, I forgive you, I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. Because there's a means there for those people to be dealt with. It doesn't mean we've become a grass. It means that God has provided a way for people's sins to be answered for. We can forgive them, but it still needs to answer for what they've done. Thirdly, there's the big final judgment of which we should all be trembling. It's the day of God's wrath, chapter 2, verse 5. When every wrong will be righted. Please realise this. And I want you this to sink in because this has massive ramifications for each one of us. According to the Bible there is not one single sin in the whole of this universe that will, not, that will go unpunished. Let me say that again. There is not a single sin that has ever been committed by you, by others, in thought and word and deed, that will go unpunished. God will deal with it justly. And the Bible tells us that every sin will be punished either in an eternity of conscious torment in hell, deserving as it should be, or else it will be punished in Christ on the cross where he, the infinite one, takes a load, our load, our burden, our failure, our hell and carries it on himself. And I realise sometimes you just say, do you know what, Lord, please don't save them. Don't save them. Don't let Jesus take their penalty. Don't let your wrath be poured out on Christ. And can I say, you can only say that if you don't realise how much you need his mercy. How much you need him to carry your burden. Perhaps the thing that you need to see is just how deserving of hell each one of us are. In fact, somebody wrote this, there is no room for arrogance if we agree we are all deserving of hell apart from Christ. So as this is what we must do. As hard as it is, we need to let God in early. Trust yourself to God when you are wrong. Go to him and do something like this. Lord, I'm trying to be you and I want to take revenge and I'm rubbish at this. Would you please help me and forgive me for trying to be you? I'm trying to trust you, Lord. Please help me to see you. Help me to fear you. Help me to honour you. Would you be big in my life? I want to leave room for you to do it. Please, Lord, do a miracle in my heart. Forgiveness and offering grace and trusting God is not easy. It is a struggle. It's hard. Lord, I want to hand it over to you. I want to stop carrying this burden. I want to stop trying to be God. You are enough for me. And when you start to do that, in some small way, in a process, you'll get your life back. You'll get your life back. Thirdly and finally, overcome evil with good, verse 20 and 21. I wish I'd done a whole sermon just on these two verses, but time doesn't allow. Overcome evil with good, verse 20 and 21. Now that word overcome, some of you will be wearing it on your trainees. Just looking. In fact, I am. You see A tip? What does the tip stand for? No? What's it stand for? It's a brand name for? Nike. Nike. That word overcome is Nike. There you go, eh? In fact, I've got a thing on my trays every day that says, I've got to be an overcomer. That word there, let's have a look. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Nike choose that because it's an active thing. It's something that will either happen to you or you will do. Do you get that? (sighs) You've got to remember that when somebody does something against you, it's more than just that person. We do not struggle merely against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers in the dark world. We are in a spiritual battle. And when evil is done, more evil wants to jump on you, pounce on you, overcome you and beat you down wants to demand that you submit and obey their agenda its agenda I want to say to you from these verses don't let enemies an enemy's evil make you evil because who wins you Christ evil wins if you attack back you don't level the score you get overcome even more do you see that Evil wins. And sometimes... I've got to do something like that. And we become like a puppet on a string for evil. It's still evil pulling our strings. That's why we get left with a bitter taste in our mouth. We pass the book. And we try and let other... We try and visit on other people what they've done to us. When actually what we need to do is turn back and say... Lord, forgive me for the way that I've been too quickly overcome with evil... We sometimes pass the buck by doing this. We say, look, she made me do it. In fact, there was that, I told you about that that chart song, which I always forget, where one character's singing back at another and they release two singles. Who was it? Frankie and something? I can't remember. What was it? And at the end of the... They have this couple break up through the media of pop music. And at the end, she's like giving him loads, absolute loads, and it finishes off with a, "Mm -hmm. you made me do this. No, you chose to do it. And so often modern psychology says that, well, if you had some bad deed done to you, that explains why you want to do bad deeds. It may explain it, but it doesn't excuse it. Evil is winning, and we can so quickly become an accomplice to it. So if you let a person's sin overcome you, govern you, master you, so it controls your energies, your thought life, your emotional state, Cripple your relationships with others. Harden you to who God is. And you can feel a and it kind. He comes down like a battle. It's like all this massive weight. And struggling. To s- when that happens, who's winning? Who's winning? Evil. That wasn't a rhetorical question, by the way. I was looking for a response. But anyway, okay. Why would you get let yourself be shaped by the wrong others do to you? Don't allow it. If you're not a believer, you have no choice. But if you are shaped by God's mercy, if He is your Lord, if He is whom you belong to, if He is your Master, if He has overcome before you, do you get it? For anybody to be a Christian, God had to overcome evil with good. Don't you dare look at that cross and say, it's not enough because at the cross there Christ overcame evil at that cross where they were throwing everything at him where they were callously pushing that, that, that crown of nails down on his head when they were pushing it into him when they were callously laughing as they nailed those things into them when those Roman soldiers were laughing and mocking and jeering when he was the recipient of that evil he could have in a moment's notice caused down, called down countless angels zapped them that would have been dealt with it wouldn't it but he overcame evil with good by saying what about them? What did he say? This isn't a rhetorical question either. The father forgives them. And he overcame evil with good. And then that that empty tomb, it was wonderful little listening to little Lucy, as Sarah was going through that children's story, she turned back to me and she said, Daddy, Jesus is alive. Yes! That is the promise that evil has been overcome, and the ultimate evil will ultimately be overcome. Christ has done it. So he says to us, make that your life story. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, my time has gone, and I want to show you that bit about how, okay, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat, and if you keep him burdened cold, I haven't got time to tell you what it means. But this... Act in such a way that you make your enemies your friends. And let evil be overcome by good. Oh, it's hard. Because sometimes they don't respond to that. But you leave it in God's hands. But sometimes there's a wonderful power of transformation. Listen, the mercy of God is enough for us to do this. Let me illustrate it with one final story before we finish. Here we go. Many of you will have heard of Corey Ten Boom. Do you remember? Her and her family would try to secure um, Jews during the second world war hide them in their house Um, they weren't Jewish themselves they were believers I believe their dad was a pastor or something like that their family eventually got caught by the authorities they were banged up in a concentration camp and she was there with her sister Betsy Betsy was always the one with the stronger faith and she saw Betsy trying to serve help and encourage other people but gradually being in that concentration camp watered down her health gave way She was treated cruelly and uh, Betsy died there in a horrible circumstance. Corrie managed to escape and she'd written books about it called The Hiding Place and she she would go around from place to place talking about forgiveness. But there's this one little account that she gives. Uh, It was quite a few years after her experiences in the concentration camp. She writes this. In a church meeting I saw him the SS guard who had stood at the shower room door and the processing centre at Ravensbrook Concentration Camp. With the other guards, he had often run his hands over naked bodies as they went by and responded callously to requests for help. He was the first of our actual jailers I had seen after the war and suddenly I was there all over again. The heaps of clothing... Betsy's his pained, blank face. And when he came up to me at the end of church, I felt empty as the church was emptying. He said to me, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, But my hand stayed at my side. Angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I tried to smile. I I struggled to raise my hand. I, I could not. I silently prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. Starting from my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass. And in my heart, a love for this stranger grew that almost overwhelmed me. That is the power of God's mercy when it is your horizon. And I'll tell you, for her, it was a struggle, and for you, it will be a struggle. But more than anything, I want to declare that Christ has overcome evil. And the closer you get to him, the more that that will just impact your life. It will impact as a church community. Can I tell you that the more that you take in his mercy into your life, the more that this will become a reality for us. This will be the place that we need to be praying into. We need to be saying, Lord, please, as a church family, make us different on the basis of your mercy, because We do not respond to evil the way that other people respond to it. And we are marked, the story now written over our life, is we are overcomers because Christ overcame for us. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with God. We're going to stand and sing now. Let's do that.